Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. I'm really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Aaron Amadi, and we're going to talk about how to create partnerships, brand and press partnerships in the world of Web3. If you would love to figure out how to partner with someone who's much larger than you, and you don't really understand how to do it, today's show is for you. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now let's transition over to this week's interview with Aaron Amadi. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Aaron Amadi. If you don't know who Aaron is, he's the co-founder of Probably Nothing, a Web3 studio that creates digital content and Web3 projects that embody hype culture. He's also co-founder of Probably a Label, a Web3 record label. He's a former content producer from MTV Networks. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, brother. Really excited to be here. I am super excited that you're here today. Aaron and I are going to explore creating brand partnerships from a Web3 perspective. Now, before we go there, I want to hear your story. How the heck did you get into Web3 and NFT? Start wherever you want to start. Let's hear your story. So I was born in 19... Well, we don't need to go with that far, far. But I basically was working at MTV Networks, as you just so eloquently stated. And in 2016, I got into, I think it was the second bull cycle of crypto in general, got into Bitcoin a little bit. What were you doing with MTV? Just tell people a little bit more about that. I was in the digital department under the branch of marketing for Paramount and Spike. So we were basically constructing digital content for TV shows, for basically uh, temples, which we call for events and making sure that content is disseminated via social and we can attract people to watch TV and basically those shows too. Got it. So that was the purpose of digital. And our department ballooned from like three or four people to like 20, I think, when I left. So in 2016, you were saying you got into crypto a little bit. So keep going with that story. Yeah. So basically, I got into Bitcoin, crypto, all that fun stuff. Got very attracted to the space, had a treasure wallet, all that. And then kept my coins, kept my, you know, my ear to the ground for a while for block chain technology. I knew that things would evolve beyond currency and a store of value. I just didn't see it yet. And as the years progressed, I left the company. I started doing independent marketing consulting, started working with one of my close friends, Jeremy Fall. And once NFTs took off, I would say in early 2021 is when we started getting immersed in the culture. 
So we both started becoming avid collectors, enthusiasts, entertained by the culture. We started reading all the white papers, you know, collecting art, getting in contact with people. We just wanted to become obsessed with this thing. It just took over our lives, to be honest. Just out of curiosity, what was, do you remember what the first collection was that you invested in or one of the first meaningful ones that you invested in back then? I was gifted a few. One of the first ones that I got into was probably Adam Bomb Squad. That was one of the bigger ones that everyone probably knows because I think it was August, like, of last year that it released. So yeah, that was one of the first ones I got into. And among some other things, I just love the fact that culture was com coming out of this. It wasn't just one of one art, which I love too, but culture was coming out of this and community was being constructed. So got into that as a consumer, as an investor, so to speak. Then we started probably nothing, which was January of last year. So January of 2022 is when we started probably nothing, early January. And our idea was, hey, let's start a company that helps onboard people into this realm with the culture. I think we started with normal intentions of doing education, quickly realized the average person is probably not going to you know, read an Instagram post on how to set up their MetaMask wallet. And they don't need to know what a layer one or layer two is in order to enjoy this industry in this space. So we went the culture route instead. And that's what brought us to today. So tell us a little bit about that first project that you guys did and kind of tell us some of the other projects that you got a chance to do with some of the brands we might be familiar with. For sure. So we, probably nothing started off with its own Genesis Mint, which means it's our own NFT collection for our company. It was a free mint. I believe it was like May 5th, and there were 7676 of them. They were free. The idea was, let's get people on board into the space by letting everybody mint two NFTs for free. One for you, one for a friend or a spouse or whatever. And we saw a lot of stories come out of it saying, hey, like I got my little brother into this space. I got my girlfriend into this space. So it was really cool for us. And we started constructing sort of a, I would say like a hype culture around our company. We, Jeremy, who's a little bit more of the public persona of our company, would often do Twitter spaces. Our team would jump on as well. We would get people very hyped up out of our project, telling about what we're going to do in the future and content that we're starting to bring out, which was highlighting Web3 culture in the space. So that Genesis Mint minted out. And then we had another project that was our own called Photosynthesis in end of May, May 25th or 6th, I think May 26th. So that was a paid NFT collection. It was the Smiley Pots. And if you minted one, you had access to our virtual flower shop where you could mint certain amount of NFTs for free, unlimited, and mint them directly onto somebody's wallet while editing the metadata. So I could send you, Mike, I could say, hey, here's a happy birthday bouquet, write in the message, love you, you know, blessings upon this year or whatever. And so for us, that was, you know, getting to the space and then within the first few months doing a paid collection with a pretty crazy utility for us was our way of saying, we're very focused on the future. We're very driven on utility. And we want to bring things that help people do things that are a little bit outside of the box and not your standard PFP collection. So that did really well, sold out. And then I think it was around a month after that or so when we started realizing we need to work with brands we're friends with in the space in the Web2 world. Because for us, culture is about bringing familiarity to things. It's about working with companies people know and love for many years and introducing them into the space. So my personal theory is that NFTs will transcend over time and become more mainstream once people stop calling them NFTs. Whether they're called digital collectibles or not, I'm not sure. But you know, you start off listening to MP3s when you were a kid, and now you call it music, right? So I think the same thing about this tech. So our next collection after that, working with friends in the space, was Stickman NFT, which was a NFT collection by Warner Records. So they had these little figurines that came with music. And we partnered with them on the art. 50 out of the 5,000 collection were probably nothing branded. 
So we co-marketed with them. We also had Bose, which is the speaker company, be part of it. They had their own 50 Bose NFTs, part of it. If you had one of them, you got one of their speakers in the mail. And so it became a massive collaborative project with Web3 brands and Web2 brands. And for us, it, it was a very big green flag of that. Hey, if these kind of companies want to work with us, we've created a very novel brand that's very attractive. We have a legitimacy and we are seen as the bridge between Web2 and Web3. And that was the starting point for us to start working with other brands in the space, one of many. Okay, so uh, I'm curious about this Stickman concept and the music. Can you tell us a little bit more? And then tell us how this ultimately led to the probably a label story as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a Freedom Mint collection, 5,000 utility-enabled audiovisual uh, NFTs. It's based on a musical group called Stickman Group under Warner Records, their actual label. And so it came with music. People got the IP rights to it. And the concept behind it for us initially was Warner coming to us and saying, we want to get in the space the right way. We know that you guys have very strong footing in Web3. You've built a very cult-like following, but we don't want to be seen as a conglomerate coming in and squashing the little guy. So what do we do? And we told them that, hey, jump on the Twitter spaces with us. Be very transparent about who you are. Literally tell them your job at, the, at Warner Records, what this NFT collection is about why you want people to actually mint these, what is the utility behind it, and why Warner actually cares about getting into Web3. And they were able to express that very clearly. They are a company that embodies culture because music is one of the biggest components of culture. And as they saw Web3 being a major vector of culture in 2022, they said, we want to be part of this. This is a new medium for us to push music out, push the boundaries of culture out, and you know, create a new community for ourselves. So Stickman NFT did really well as a result of that. It was a free mint. It cracked, I think, like number three or four on OpenSea, sat there for a few days, did a lot of money on secondary. And for a company that's very, very large and very old, like Warner Records, that's a very attractive experience to say, hey, we did something that we've never touched before. We've heard about Web3. We just did it with these guys. We bet them a few months ago and we made some money off it. Sure, we'll we'll keep doing stuff in this space. Let's see what makes sense for us. Let's see what's cool. And let's keep investing in this space. And I think that was the key factor for a lot of companies to get in this space is do something, it's successful, we'll build on that. But it's a bold step for any company to take in this space. You know, if you read all the bad headlines about Web3 and crypto and NFTs, I understand why you'd have ambivalent feelings towards it. So Talk to us about the label. Is this somehow tied to the Stickman thing or is it something totally different? So it's not tied to Stickman NFT, but Stickman NFT was sort of the precursor towards it. So based on that success, we went to Warner and said, hey, we have a crazy idea. Would you like to create a Web3 record label with us? And we convinced them to do so. Not sure how that happens. So we said, let's start something called probably a label, a play on our obviously company's name, probably nothing. So probably a label is a Web3 record label that was formed between Warner Records and probably nothing. And this record label is a Web3 record label, and that means two things. One is we will help artists who are basically Grammy award-winning artists launch singles on our platform as NFTs with functionality and cool stuff and experiences and all that. So we launched one of the first ones we did was Diddy, and we launched that on Coinbase NFT and did really well. The other aspect of this record label is serves a bit of an incubator. So Basically, we launched a NFT label pass on October 10th, and that was on OpenSea and sold out, did really well. We were all very happy about it. Comes with a lot of utility and perks. The major one being if you have our label pass and you have an NFT from a partnering friend of ours, a lot of the blue chips in the space, World of Women, Punks, Apes, etc., you can pitch an idea to us, to our label, and we will help develop that into a project or career for you. 
So if you have like a bunch of world of women and you want to do a music video, a cartoon, a video game, whatever it is, we will help put the finance together, the press, the marketing, and help our arsenal of resources bring that to life for you. Very fascinating, first of all, story of how you've gone from working for MTV networks and then still ultimately, you know, being involved in kind of bringing some of these larger brands. We didn't even mention CNN as one of uh, your customers as well into the world of Web3. So there's a lot of people listening right now who might be working for traditional Web2 businesses, large, small, or in the middle. They might not understand the value of partnerships. And I would love you to kind of explain why strategic partnerships are so important when it comes to NFT projects. Absolutely. So partnerships are important for a variety of reasons. The biggest and most obvious one being that they basically build brand equity at a much, much quicker rate than you would expect. And they basically showcase legitimacy that you are important enough, cool enough, attractive enough to actually work with, and that your brand has something going on other than the fact that you're making NFTs or you're producing art or whatever it is that you're doing. So partnerships allow you to leapfrog uh, across the aisle, really, and showcase that you are valuable. Brand equity is magnified tremendously, which is something that you know takes a long time to build. Warren Buffett said a long time ago, it takes like 20 years to build a brand, five years to ruin it. And that's true. You have to start building your brand with partnership. I think it said five minutes to ruin it. Or something. Five minutes, right. Yeah, yeah. That, even worse. I mean, these days it might be five seconds, to be very honest. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, that's, that's true. It's basically you're building massive brand equity. So that's the biggest reason. The other part of it is brand reach. So you're working with another firm, whether it's Web2 or it's Web3, it doesn't matter. They probably will have a different audience than yours, even though if it overlaps a little bit, you might as well tap into their audience and expand your reach, either if you're providing a service, art, products, whatever it is. So you're doubling down on audience now. So now you have a larger audience to tap into. And what I would say is that it's something that I think a lot of people evaluate and they think about all the time, but either because of ego or because of the fact that they think they don't really need it, they will forego the partnership angle. Or they think they're not big enough, which I understand because when you're starting out in this realm, it's hard to attract brands and companies to work with you, but you have to start small. That's kind of the whole point. The other thing is obviously when you're doing something with another company, you're tapping into their resources as well. So hopefully if you're doing something that makes money, you're going to make sure that you're making more money with a company that has the same amount of personnel as you or slightly less or more to do even a larger project. You'll often be able to do work that is beyond your scope and tap into you know a project that's larger than you could normally do because you're working with somebody else. So human resources are doubled in that sense. We're recording this pretty much at the end of 2022, and this is coming out in early 2023. For those that are listening that are smart and strategic, there are lots of businesses that want to get into the world of Web3 but do not have what Aaron and his company bring to the table, right? So this is an opportunity where there's not a lot, today at least, of individuals who are going to, first of all, hear what we're about to talk about, which is how to go about doing this, and secondly, have the willingness to go out there and approach some of these brands that could be really strong strategic alliances. Like my guess is you probably couldn't have launched a record label on your own, right? Even though you used to work for MTV networks, my guess is that's completely outside of your domain expertise. You needed a partner who already had an existing label in order to be able to, to make this work. Right. And this is the strategy. Like when everything aligns where, the, and they probably could not have figured out web three without someone like yourself who was, focused on the cultural side of it, right? So it's it's all about finding that strategic partnership that's that's really ideal. And 
And it could be a massive accelerant for both parties, right? Which I think is so amazing. So let's talk about this strategy. Like, how do you go about if someone wants to build a partnership of some kind with either a very large brand or even a any kind of brand, frankly, that just has something they don't have, right? How do we go about doing that? So the strategy that I have for building partnerships, it's a particular model, and it allows for a few things. The first thing is it allows for potential partners to be attracted to your brand. So you want to you wanna be in a position where people are already curious about you. That's very significant. The other thing is it does it, it allows you to successfully target and launch new initiatives with these brands. So how to actually go about it and how to launch these things and bring them to life because ideas are fantastic until you have no idea how to execute them. The last thing it does, it allows people to do the talking for you. I'm a firm believer that if you let people do the talking for you and you have the right message and people are talking very well about you, it's much more powerful than if you're doing the talking or if your team is doing it or if you you know, hire somebody to speak about you. It's much more significant. So those three things that come out of the strategy help a lot. So if you like, it could stop. start with the first one. It's called the PPP model, right? That's what we talked yeah. about when we were prepping for this. There's three Ps and we're going to start with the first one, which is what exactly? What's the first step? The first P is prepare your story. So that's all about creative and branding. So you need to essentially come up with the story, the lore, the creative, everything that makes your Web3 company what it is today and why people should care at all. And one of the easiest things I would say is obviously you need to be in the right mindset as in if you are not the creative type to have the creative on board on your team. So probably nothing. I am not nowhere near the creative type. I handle more of the partnerships and operations and fun stuff like that. Jeremy, who's my partner, is the massive creative brain behind a lot of this stuff. So he fills that gap tremendously. He comes up with all that stuff. So make sure you have someone on your team that does that. And what you want to first figure out is, you know, what is exactly that your company in Web3 is trying to accomplish in literally one sentence? If you could do it in a few words, that's amazing. I can't. But in one sentence, for example, probably a label, we basically, we help artists rewrite their stories using the power of digital collectibles. That's it. I like that. That's what we do in one sentence. You know, there's a lot sexier language we have on probably a label that I owe that could tell the story in a cool way. But that's what we do in one sentence. We tell stories using the power of digital collectibles. And there's other stuff, like I said, like we have a mission to live at the intersection of culture, et cetera. But that's it. The other thing is you want to come out with the brand messaging and the campaigns that make sense to your company. So what are the ideas and concepts and the convictions that you as a brand hold? And what do you want to tell people about? So for us, it's probably a label. It's fairly obvious what it is, but we kind of say it in a more elaborate way. We say basically that we believe that music best comes alive when there's context people can connect to emotionally. And Web3 allows artists in general to create with more freedom and connect with fans on a much deeper level. And our mission is to live at that intersection and at that culture. So we know Web3 has basically in layman's terms, the power to connect people in ways we never saw before. And we know that music can be best served when you're connected to people on a deeper level. And that's what we're all about. That's what we want to help facilitate in the world. So you, your concept might be something different. You might have a story that's different, but you have to really crank those out very clearly. Ask yourself what your brand is trying to accomplish in a sentence. What are the convictions and ideas and concepts your brand is trying to tout? And make sure that's very, very clear. And repeat it. Repeating your marketing messaging, your emails, your Twitter spaces, your profiles on social media, everywhere you can. And make sure everyone on your team is aligned in that. And that once you pivot in any way, that you're you know, solidifying that messaging across all digital platforms. 
I love this. I have not fully developed the story slash narrative for this show, but I'm going to take a stab at it on the fly. And I've been telling people something along these lines that we aim to bring the world of business into Web3. And we talk about how the business world doesn't really understand all of the technology and all the financial sides of it. And they frankly don't need to, right? They simply need to understand how it could transform their sales and their marketing and their branding and how to develop a really loyal community. These are the things that we focus on on this show so that these businesses can be at the front end of this new technological thing that is ultimately going to change the world, right? And then if I was to tell a story, which I have told, I would share how I own a Web2 media company and how during COVID, you know, I couldn't have my conference and I went off on this exploratory path and I discovered crypto and then ultimately NFTs. And then I began to see this opportunity to translate the technical stuff in language that everyone else can understand. And I noticed that the whole world was focusing on either trading or investing or the technological side of it, but nobody was translating it into business. And I decided I was going to put a flag in the ground and that's what I was going to do. That's my story. I don't know if that's a good story, but I think it's a story nonetheless. I'm curious from your perspective, I love how you're developing like a, you know, what are your convictions and who are you trying to reach? When I think of a story and the elements of story, I think of like a challenge that was faced by the founder of the company or a challenge that's faced by the audience that we are helping them solve. Is that part of the story narrative that you guys have sown when you're talking to these partners as well? Absolutely. I mean, we customize that sort of messaging towards the partner we're talking to. So, well, for example, let's say tomorrow I'm talking to like a fashion label and they are wanting to get into the space where they dip their toes a little bit, but they're not quite sure how, how to go about it beyond just doing the party in the metaverse. I'll ask them like, you know, I've seen that you guys have done this and that. I know that because you're a lifestyle brand, ultimately you want to connect with people, right? Everybody wants to do that. It doesn't matter what your company is. And by doing that, that's how you can ultimately want to drive sales and all that. So I just tell them, listen, there's multiple ways to connect with people, but it has to be an emotional connection with an experience around it or a product that produces that experience. So here's an idea or two that we've constructed that we think will help deliver that experience in the best way possible that fits your company and will help elevate your brand to the point where people are strongly connected emotionally to you. So obviously you want to tailor it to the brand you're talking to and what they're trying to accomplish. But generally, a lot of the brands in space want to do the same thing. They always say like, hey, we just want to do like cool that people care about, which is great. And you have to help them do that with whatever assets you have, what the stories you have and why that meshes well with their story. So and brands will ask you this. They'll say, hey, what, what's the backstory here? I love what your stuff is about, but how does it make sense for us? You know, how are we going to connect here? And this is where you have to do a lot of studying and understand the brand really well. Because ultimately, people can sniff out inauthenticity very quickly. Absolutely. Very, very quickly. And so you have to present to them the way that your company works with theirs. Perfect. So lots of power in story. And we know so many people that can use story for good. We also know many people that can use story for bad. There's a lot of people in this space like Sam Bankman Freed who who hoodwinked people with his story about how yeah. he was changing the whole world, right? So you got to make sure your story is legit because obviously there's a lot of people or you think about the founder of WeWork, you know, and some of these other um, really charismatic individuals or the, the uh, you know, I was just watching a documentary about this gal who created this little thing that you can 
you know, get someone's blood, you know, and, and oh, right. I forget what her name is. Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth think, Holmes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. she had an incredible story. And of course, she was a con artist, right? So we're not saying that, you, you know, but this just shows you the power of story, right? People will get behind a story that connects with them at some sort of deep level. And I think that's kind of the key here, right? So the first P was prepare your story. So what's the second one? The second P is, well, it's not an action, but it's one word, which is partnerships. So now you have your story. It's attractive. You think it's cool. It makes sense. It's crystal clear. Now you want to actually go about and initiate contact, construct partnerships and execute them. So obviously easier said than done. It's a whole lot of work. No, no doubt about that. And the easiest thing to start with is create your wish list of brands you'd want to work with. And if you're new to this concept and you haven't done this before, you probably want to dim down the delusion and not just say to yourself, you know, if this would be just so easier if I just DM Nike and they just made a shoe with me today. Like, yeah, that's that's fantastic. I'd love to do that too tonight. <laughs> but you have to build your brand equity with partnerships. You start small. That's how it works. Do you recommend having like a list of low hanging targets that you should go after in the beginning? And then maybe the, you know, the moonshot or whatever brand that you would ultimately love to be able to leverage up to? Is that kind of where you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to Web2 brands, because they are frankly bigger, that's just the way it is. You want to have low-hanging low fruits, smaller smaller ideas for that. For Web3 brands, you can probably aim higher because the space A is very inclusive. B, it's extremely small. It's all the same players, a lot of the same folks, personalities. And C, honestly, Web3 brands that are larger in the space are pretty inviting. They're pretty inclusive and they, they're they willing to work with companies as long as you showcase that you're docs, you're legitimate, you've done a project or two in the space, you have a cool brand and it makes them for sense for them to mesh with. So you can aim higher in Web3, absolutely, because it's a smaller space. So create this wish list of brands that are desirable, but also very realistic for yourself. And then the second step you take, obviously, is to find how to connect with these brands, right? So you probably don't want to just hit up like the company's main Twitter account with 20 million followers. It's neither here nor there. Not, they're not going to hear your voice. What you will want to do is find specific people. And how you do that is essentially LinkedIn or Twitter. Those are the easiest methods to go about it, mostly because of the fact that people do use that for business. It's not just what you think. And even on LinkedIn, people do get a lot of spam and stuff like that, but they're pretty open to communication as long as they see on your page. It's, you know, you look legitimate, you have a photo, you have a company, you ha you're sharing news, you're active. You didn't just make a LinkedIn last night with nothing on and you just DM somebody. You have to look like you're a human, right? So the second step is finding these people. How do you find them? Social media, LinkedIn, Twitter. Who do you actually look for? One of the more practical methods I look at is I look for news releases about Web2 brands in specific who are getting into the space based on proclamations that somebody high up in the company makes. And then I'll know who that person is in their department. So I'll Google like NFTs and I'll put like fashion, automotive, food, whatever. And I'll see a news release about a company getting into the space and typically like a VP of marketing or a chief innovation officer or somebody will say, you know, we're proud to do so-and-so said whoever. And I'll look for their name on LinkedIn or Twitter. And I'll try to get in touch with them. If they're too high up and the company's very big, you know, it's a company that's been around for like a million years. You'll want to look for people in one of three departments, partnerships, business development, or marketing. Those are the three that will basically help you out in this realm and will be interested to help you. Some companies don't have a partnership store and some don't even have business development that much. And they might just have marketing that does everything. But regardless, it's those three 
departments you want to look for. So those are the people and the sort of situations you want to stay out for. The third step is obviously pitching them and developing concepts. Real quick before we go to pitch. So what I'm hearing you say is that we want to go ahead and create a wish list, right, of who we want to work with. And I would imagine if you're going after like like uh, apparel, you know what I mean? You kind of know who those companies are. I mean, if you're going after like music, you kind of know who those players are. And then what you want to do is try to identify who inside the company would be the persons that you're going to want to try to develop some sort of a relationship with. And I would imagine you don't want to just, we're about to talk about how to pitch them, but you don't want to just pitch them. You probably want to follow them in the beginning and start interacting. Does that sound fair to say that? Maybe like start interacting with them on Twitter and start maybe, I don't know, any thoughts on before the pitch? Yeah, absolutely. You want to you want to have the fine line of stalking and, you know, sort of watching. So you definitely want to, yeah, that's definitely a preliminary step is following them on whatever platform you're going to be on and then commenting and liking on their content. And, you know, in a, an authentic way, if, for example, if you're talking to somebody who is an executive at a firm and put out a blog post on their company about some new initiative they're doing and they're excited about Web3, read the article, you know, like we don't just like like it and then comment and make sure that they understand you actually read the article and don't, and it's not something about the first paragraph or last, like read it. So when you say something on social media, they will pay attention. They don't, these people, these companies don't have millions of followers, you know, and when they see a comment and it's very specific about something they did, people love attention. They love flattery. They love people having comments directed at them, hopefully in the positive light. So be very genuine about that. Interact with them. But like you said, start off with connecting with them, figuring out, you know, if they're pretty active on which platform and being friends and all that stuff. You don't just add somebody, DM them and say, what's up? Right. Let's work together. You know, one of the things that I do, because I'm always actively networking for people to get on my various shows, is I will go on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, and I will look at, for example, on LinkedIn, which of my people in my network follow them. Because I also know that if they look at me on LinkedIn, they're going to say X number of people follow me. And that'll add a little bit of credibility, right? To have people that they know also be people that um, I know. And I would do the same thing on Twitter, sometimes on Instagram, whatever the platform of choice is, right? Like it always shows you which of your network is following said person. On LinkedIn, people are much more careful about accepting connections on LinkedIn than they are on the other social platforms. And on Twitter, not everybody follows everyone. So if someone who's respected in industry is following you and they know who that person is on Twitter, for example, that will add some subliminal instant credibility that I think would be very valuable for when that moment comes, when you begin the next step, right? Which is contact. Is there anything else to this second step about identifying partnerships? What about developing pitches and stuff like that? Should we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And just to comment on what you said, there's definitely a social science behind networking via the digital realm. It's very strong. So definitely like, you know, looking at people who follow people, making sure that you stay relevant that way is very important. And as for pitching, so this is obviously the part that, you know, most people get kind of nervous about. Is this the last step or is this part of the second step? This is still step two. Okay. But it's steps within steps. There's so many steps. <laughs> micro steps. <laughs> the micro steps. So this is the final step, obviously, of the partnership, you know, step two, which is basically start developing concepts. I usually say one or two concepts for a partner you're trying to get to is enough. You don't want to send like 50 ideas to somebody or chat with them over an hour and give them 100 ideas. It's overloading and they'll pass it off to someone else. So come up with one or two ideas where you think you can work together with another brand in a very cool way that will you know, help leverage their brand and yours, how you bring value to them. And you have to start evaluating 
as you're constructing your pitch, whether you're doing a creative brief or you're doing a, you know, like a presentation, a deck, whatever, you know, why should they work with you? What's in it for them? What do you have that they would love to leverage? And you have to figure out also on top of that, you know, how you can sort of make the partnership work in terms of I'm bringing this value to you, you're bringing this value to me. So I see this as equal. Otherwise, most companies that are have more brand equity than you will say, yeah, I know you'd love to work with me. So would a million other people. So what's in it for me? So understand your brand's value and presenting that in your pitch and then coming up with the concept that leverages that value so you can present it to the partner you're talking to. And then when it comes to actually pitching, this connects to what I said before is as you're connecting with people online on social and that stuff, I take the approach of chatting with people first to gauge their vibe and making it look like, hey, I've done my due diligence. I'd love to chat with you to just get the vibe. You jump on a call with them. They talk about themselves. You talk about yourself and your company. And you basically will understand kind of where they're going with Web3 in, you know, in general. So you shouldn't waste your time coming up with an idea that's far beyond what they love to get into or waste your time doing an idea that is you know, about doing, let's say, an NFT collection where they're very focused on metaverse. You just don't want to do that. So I think it's smart to first have a filtering call with them, almost like a discovery session, almost like they're your client, figure out what their needs are as an organization, what they're trying to do. So once you have that, I would get on another call with them and actually pitch them your idea. I wouldn't just like, you know, DM them like a concept and be like, hey, what do you think? You you can do that once you've done like a million partnerships and you have a lot of cloud in the space. What are your thoughts about using tools like, loom and there's another one called can't remember what it's called where you can create a little video right and and in that video you could say something along the lines like hey aaron i noticed that your company has launched these projects and specifically proving a little bit that you've done your research on this company right and saying you know i think it's really exciting what you guys are doing and if you're looking to possibly go a little bit further with a company that can help in these areas where you're not yet there yet I would love to explore a chat with you. Do you think doing a video that is custom for them works? Because I've seen it happen for me. Generally speaking, I feel like if it's done well, you're going to get some sort of response where if it's just text, you're kind of like every other Tom, Dick, and Harry that's trying to reach out and pitch them. I don't know. What are your, what's your reaction? Have you tried that or are you, have you not done that? I'm aware of Loom. I haven't used it personally, but any digital tool that makes you stand out, I always applaud people using. So if you can do it really well. Bomb Bomb was the one I was thinking of, the other one. Yeah. I haven't known that stuff, but if it looks really good, and I would ask a bunch of people for feedback, I'm a big believer in asking people beyond your company, your organization about feedback because you don't want group thing. Then yeah, I would definitely use that because it'll grab the attention of people. Like you said, they're going to get a million messages a day. All of them will be trash. So if you can stand out in a way, it's good. There will be a segment of people who are turned off by that stuff and we'll see it as salesy and stuff. But like I said, if it's done well, I don't see why not. And as for tools, I mean, there's a million of you for doing like decks. I'm mostly more aware of this, but like Canva is like a dream. It makes decks like really easy. You don't have to be a designer to do it. Um, or if you have somebody on your team who does design, obviously they can help with that. But yeah, that's for pitching. You want to, like I said, pitch the right people in the right place. So how do you normally do it when you're reaching out cold to somebody? Like, are you the one doing it or is it Jeremy? And if so, what's the Jeremy? Is that his name? Or is it Jason? We both, is Jeremy. We both do it, to be honest. I probably do it more so than I used to. We both basically do it. He has a different approach than the way I do it. I would say I'm a little bit more like structured and exposed and deliberate and he's more like he keeps a little bit more casual and it works also because that's how he presents himself in the public eye 
it's a he has a sort of a more of a mysterious ambiguous veil around his personal brand right for me i'm a lot more just like hey like i have a very structured way with how i pitch people which is the following way i shoot them initial message and i first mention them or something they've done so i say hey so and so love your article or excited about the launch you guys are doing et cetera, et cetera. something about their what they're doing so they know that you actually care and Again, be authentic. I actually do be interested in what they're doing because if you're not, I'm not sure why you like to work with them. So if you're shooting a paragraph, first you start with that, you know, addressing them, showing interest in what they're doing. After that, you know, your sentence morphs into showcasing authority, talking about yourself, touting a little bit, right? And I don't mean writing like a whole story, but saying very direct to the point, saying something like, hey, with, you know, so-and-so brand, we're about to launch this and that. And that showcases the legitimacy because now you're talking about another company, not just yourself. So you're leveraging somebody else's brand equity. So get to that immediately. Don't go by yourself for an hour. Don't go by your company. Go to the other, the brand you're working with. And then the last part of it is you are basically asking them to chat with you and not being too aggressive with it and not saying like, by the way, I have 50 concepts. You know, Can I send you a deck? It's way too much in my experience. I usually just say something along the lines of, you know, relating to that, I also think there are a lot of cool ways we can work with each other. Would you be down to have a conversation soon? Something like that is probably fine. And you either get zero response or you'll get a yes. You you probably won't get a vicious attack blown back at you for that. It's very, you know, friendly. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So that's it. It's just you start addressing them, showcasing interest in them or their company, then showcase the legitimacy about the brand you're working with. So showcase authority and like, you know, here's what I'm doing. This is significant. And three would you be open to having a conversation? It's pretty hard for somebody to say no to that. Okay, prepare your story is the first P. Partners is the second P. Pitch is like a mini P. But the third P is what exactly? Third P is press. Okay. And this basically is done based on the other two Ps, right? So you have your identity as a brand. You've constructed this partnership with a brand whose equity you can leverage. This assumes you've already agreed on, you've got a partnership and you're ready to talk about it with the public, right? Okay. Correct. These are sequential. Right. And so you have this partnership in the works. Whether this partnership is launched or not doesn't really matter. And if anything, when it hasn't launched, it's probably when you want to be doing this, obviously. So now you start in your press part. And press is an interesting segment of work because there's a lot of ways to go about it. The way I've done it is I'm very personal with press. I actually contact and use media connections myself. Personally, I develop relationships with them, so I don't go through a publicist at all. And I find that people in the media like talking to founders a lot. Talking to representatives and stuff like that will stifle things in my experience. So I get in touch with press myself. And press is very important because like I said before, you want people to do the talking for you. So how do you go about press? What does that even mean? So a little bit similar to partnerships, you want to develop your list of media outlets and press that you'd like to get in contact with. And again, you have to be very realistic. If you've had zero press before, probably not going to be on the cover of New York Times anytime soon. So you have to be very realistic with what you're trying to do. You make a media list of companies you'd like to be in contact with, and you figure out who those people are. And to slow things down a little bit, there's a difference between Web 2 and Web 3 press. There's like a lot of crypto magazines, NFT magazines, all that stuff. So that's low-hanging fruit. I would absolutely go towards all those guys and find out then, which is you know the second part of this, is find out who's the one writing, who's the one editing, who is writing about the kinds of projects that make sense for them to be interested 
in your project. And some of those media entities include like, I think, Descript, Cointelegraph. Are there other ones that you can think of off the top of your head? Coindesk is a great one. Cointelegraph, Decrypt. There are smaller ones like NFT Gators. NFT Now is a huge one. NFT Evening, NFT Culture. There's a ton of them out there. Hype Moon, which is a company that's part of Hype Hype Beast, which yeah. talks about NFT stuff all the time. These are all great brands. So I said Descript, it was Decrypt. I think I got that one wrong. So yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's Decrypt. But I mean, I mean, listen, you don't these days you don't know when people write. I don't get media, so I don't. Yeah. So good. Okay, so you've identified them. Keep going. How do you find out who to? Is it mostly looking at the, the the people that are actually publishing the articles and going directly to them? Yes. The difference, I would say, between this and the previous step is when you're looking at people you have to get in contact with, you really have to study what they do. So I literally read a lot of the articles that a handful of writers write at you know a few publications all the time to see that, you know, are they interested in the kind of news that I want to tell them? Or are they writing purely about currency? Or are they only writing about, let's say, fashion NFTs or whatever it is? So identify the writers who are writing about the kind of projects that makes sense for them to write about you. Otherwise, you're wasting your time completely. Or they may refer you to like a colleague or something like that. So find out who they are. Same methods, LinkedIn and Twitter. Same concept of pitching them. You basically showcase interest in them about something they wrote. Obviously, if they're a reporter, journalist, writer, you showcase authority midway through your message. This is what we're doing. And then at the end, you say, I'd love to chat to tell you more about it instead of saying, I'd love to chat to see, because I think there's some cool ways we can work to each, with each other, right? Yeah, but and, and, but the key difference here is you got to drop that brand name in there that they're going to be familiar with, right? Correct. You're not going to get press, especially bigger press, if you don't have that brand name connected to you. There are exceptions to this. Like if you do nothing with any brand and you know, you're an anomaly in the system and you make like millions of dollars one night. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of the, the crypto mags will love to talk to you just because financially you're a success story. That's great. But if you're not one of those and you're about to launch something, you have to tout that brand you're working with. That's the legitimacy you bank off of. And that's what will perk their ears a lot. So you go after the writers that write about stuff that you think they'll want to talk about you. It makes sense to them. You bank off the authority of another brand equity as well as your own, obviously, because you're doing something cool. And lastly, you ask them to chat. So with press, you really, really have to be very illustrative with your story. And this is where all the things in step one, prepare your story, come into play again. What is your brand story? They're going to ask you questions about you personally. How'd you get involved? Now tell me the story about you and this company working together. Why are you working together? Why is this noteworthy for me? Why does it make a difference? So your story has to be very concrete by that point about here's how our brand sort of evolved. And here's a partnership we have with this cool company that you've heard of a million times. And this is why it matters. Tell them the story from a very, I would say, an, an angle where for them, it's really just about will people be captivated by this cool, shocking, attractive story, especially if it's an NFT collection, let's say. They're not going to be captivated if you just tell them, well, the part of this that's really cool is that we're really getting really hard into the tech. And if you do it like this, you save money on gas. Like Those things are all fantastic, but you have to illustrate it in a way that makes sense for the average reader to grasp. And make sure that you're speaking to everybody, not just speaking to yourself and your team. So you have to speak in layman's terms, obviously. So spell the story out for them, make sure it's attractive and hook them with it. And then obviously they'll, you know, if they're really nice to you, maybe they'll like send you a draft or something. It's kind of unheard of. If they want more information, they'll reach out. They'll want assets from you. They'll ask for like photos, videos, more information. And then there will be types of stories where you'll have to compromise. And a news outlet will say, I'm not writing anything about you unless there's an embargo, which means I'm the only one who breaks this story. Happy to do that if the media outlet is very big, reputable, and I think it makes sense for my brand. 
If it's not, then it doesn't make a difference to me. I'm not going to do that with them. Some companies will not want to do that and some will. I would imagine you're going to have to get approval from the other brand before you do this, right? Because they might have their own PR department that may or may not want you to do this. Is that fair to state? Yeah, absolutely. Depending on, I mean, companies revolve around how they do these things very differently. The bigger the company, the more red tape there is. So you want to craft that story and then present it to the brand you're working with. Make sure that they understand who you're chatting with, what outlets you're going towards. They might have their own press strategy, stuff like that. But you want to make sure that you're unified in your messaging. And that's where what I said before makes sense of like have like for our record label, we help you know artists tell their stories with digital collectibles. That sentence has to be vetted with the brand you're working with. The convictions you hold in this you know, mutually beneficial endeavor that has to be vetted with the brand you're working with. Make sure these things are obviously all cleared. I'm assuming, you know, everything you're getting a green light on and you figure it out with the company you're working with. There's a ton of work involved in that. But that's what you have to do, obviously, before you, you know, actually tell your story. There's times where brands may not care as much and say, hey, listen, do your thing as we trust you. We love you. It really depends on your relationship with the brand you're working with. If they love everything you do and they're comfortable with you and your public persona, they're not going to be that meticulous with this kind of stuff. They might be like, hey, you tweet what you want. We let you do the creative lead on this. We're okay with it. And there are some brands who say, hey, listen, we it's our first time getting into this world. We're kind of afraid. Can you just vet like an entire paragraph through us and just go off of that and nothing else, which is fine too, obviously. Do you recommend putting a media kit together that maybe already has images, photographs, quotes from both entities, maybe a pre-written press release? that is given once you've gotten sure I'm interested in learning more? Or do you recommend just leading with something like a press release that's already been pre-crafted? I like having a media kit. One thing I would say is that the press release obviously will sort of be co-written with you and the brand you're working with, and you'll have mutually agreed upon assets you'll use in this media kit. So you want to be all prepped. So you don't have to go back, um, you know, go back on that road and be like, oh no, we use the wrong image or they right. want to shift this and that. So have that cranked out beforehand. Have your story very concrete. Have the assets. Don't try to, you know, self-doubt what you've put forward already. Make sure it's polished and it's good to go. So absolutely using a media kit helps tremendously. And there is a difference also between having a huge release be breaking with a media company and getting like a feature story profile piece. That's a whole different ballgame. And the difference between the two is one is very I guess, cordial in a way and structured. And the other one is a little bit more of a narrative story. And the narrative story, I think it's it's harder to make that so vetted and like structured and, you know, word for word, everything's concrete and it's a little bit more illustrative. So that kind of stuff will revolve around interviews and not press releases, podcasts, talking about, you know, the, the partnership you're doing in a little bit more of a narrative way. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating, Aaron. So many great concepts here for people to wrap their head around from originally coming up with their preparing their story to finding those right partners to ultimately doing that press kind of gauntlet kind of thing it's so amazing what you just shared with us if people want to connect with you do you have a preferred social platform and if they want to find out more about your company probably nothing where do you want to send them for sure so for me personally i'm on twitter at aaron amadi a-a-r-o-n-a-h-m-a-d-i also on LinkedIn, if you type in my name, you'll find me instantly. For Probably Nothing, my company, you go to probablynothing.io. You can find us there. You can also find Probably Nothing on Twitter, Instagram, 
It will be on YouTube soon, but mostly on, I would say, Twitter and Instagram and a million other platforms on 2023. Aaron Amadi, thank you so much for sharing all your insights with us. And I, I think you've given a lot of people a lot of great ideas. We're way better because of it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for the opportunity. It means a lot. I've been reading you guys for a long, long, long time. So it's very surreal to be here and chatting with you. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W55. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.